Today we're uh, kicking off our annual 10-day fast. Uh, we know a lot of churches start the year out with 21-day fast, but we feel like we're not as sinful as they are, so we just do 10 days. A little humor, a little humor. Some of you are like, you need a 40-day. Uh, but we kick off, and a lot of people ask us what that is, and I don't, we've got a lot of new Christians. Uh, basically, a fast... Um, is when you abstain from something for so many days and give that time to the Lord. It can be food. It can be social media. It can be, uh, I know we've had people that they were so addicted to Diet Coke. I mean, they would go through a 12-pack a day. They gave up Diet Coke for those days. And, and here's, here's what it is. Uh, somebody was asking me what our staff is going to be doing. Here's what we're going to be doing, uh, myself and our staff. We're going to be doing, going by Whole30 guideline. And we'll, uh, I think it's up online what that includes. And my cousin Marty was asking me, man, what is that? I said, well, you can eat all the meat, vegetables, fruit you want, but you, you can't have dairy, you can't have breads. And he's like, man, I live off that stuff. I'm like, I know my favorite food groups involve bread and, and cheese. Italian and Mexican. And so I'm like, but that's the whole point of a fast. It's like, oh, no, I'm not going to say that. that some of y'all, that would offend you. You can't give up something you already don't do. Are you willing? Are you hearing me? So you better, it's the idea of setting those things aside to honor God. Say, I'm going to take this 10 days to seek you and seek your fast. So I came across a video for some of you that this fasting is new to and some of you that have been in it a long time. Maybe this will help you understand it a little more. Roll that for me. Fasting? Oh, yeah, fasting. Fasting's awesome, man. Where else can you combine the disciplines of spirituality and dieting and uh, lose weight. I mean, yeah, Pamela Fanny gets a bad rap. I mean, you think this That's not the video. It's the video we played at the 9 a.m. service. Same same video. We read that video. Thank you. Yeah. I, I think fasting's awesome. I mean, where else can you combine spirituality and dieting all in the same way? I mean, I think it's bound wrap, pound for pound it does. You know, people think it's for monks or supermodels and stuff like that. But I'm here to tell you it's for everybody. Last summer, I had a 20-year reunion slash barbecue slash swim party to go to, and I done but had to drop about 85 pounds. So thanks to fasting, what has two thumbs and look good in a swimsuit? This guy. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Fasting? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's great to uh, skip a meal or two so you can hear God's voice better, you know? Stay plugged into Him. Yeah. You know, some people uh, fast from phones and music and gadgets. But that's, that's not a sacrifice. That's, that's not even biblical. I mean, that, that's crazy talk, you know? I mean, God gave us this stuff so we could stay plugged into Him, maximize our lives. It also keeps us busy enough to never be still or quiet. Are you even a Christian? I dare you to fast from your phone for one minute. You know, fine. Minute. You got it. No biggie. I don't care. I probably should take that. 
I fast. Okay, that's a total lie. I don't even fast at all. Okay, I want to. Another lie. Don't even think about it. Deal is, I'm hypoglycemic and diabetic, and that's not even close to the truth at all, okay? Hey, even the Bible says, he who hopes dies fasting, right? Right? Okay, Benjamin Franklin said that right before he died. <laughs> Bottom line, fasting makes me hungry. Are we almost uh, done? Hello, I'm Brett Johansson, and I believe that fasting is one of the greatest spiritual disciplines one can achieve in their faith. When my family or friends invite me to go to lunch, I gently remind them and passive-aggressively admonish them by reminding them, did you not get my fasting notification email? Oh, that I had the luxury to eat lunch like you do. <laughs> Every year around Easter, I go through a 40-day fast to heighten my sensation of the Easter holiday. This year, however, I've decided to tack on 10 extra days. <laughs> so by the time we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, I will have been fasting for 50 whole days. If I survive. In my fast, I have a very rigid schedule. And if you do not have a rigid schedule, then God does not approve. Some people like to cheat, and they drink flavored waters and juices within the fast. You must be drinking unfiltered well water. And if you do not drink unfiltered well water, God does not approve. In the afternoon, I put a cone of silence around me. I do not talk to anyone. Yes, that does annoy people. Yes, it does anger my coworkers. I am persecuted within my fast. And if you are not persecuted within the fast, God does not approve. When I get home, I go straight straight to my prayer closet. I do not talk to my wife. I do not play with the kids. I let them fend for themselves. And if the kids do not fend for themselves and the wife does not get talked to, God does not approve. You know what? I'm going to ask nice one more time and then I am not in control of what happens, okay? So give me the phone. Okay, fine. I need the phone. I, I need to call. Um, no, All right. So why, of course, that's a little humorous look at it. So why do we fast? Uh, I think that's a great question. Uh, so that's what we're going to look at today. What What is the purpose of fasting? Is it something that we should even be doing now? Uh, if you got a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 9. If not, we're going to bring it up here on the screen. But Mark 9 opens up with Jesus uh, taking uh, Peter, James, and John up to the mountains, uh, the story of the Mount Transfiguration. He gets up there. Uh, Peter, James, and John, they get up there. Well, all of a sudden, they see Moses, Elijah, they're talking to Jesus. And, and the Bible says that, Peter's so freaked out, he doesn't really know what to say. But if you know anything about Peter, that doesn't stop him from saying anything. So Peter's like, uh, Rabbi, let us build y'all three cabins, one for each of you. And, and God pretty much says, hey, uh, Peter, just shut up and listen to him. He doesn't say it in that turn, but it says a cloud came, and this voice came down and said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to what he says. And, and, and what happens, man, when the smoke clears, uh, the only one that's left standing there is Jesus. Moses and Elijah, they're gone. So they begin to walk back down the mountain. Something I uh, stop here for a minute, and I, I think it's important for us to note this. 
Mountaintop experiences are great. But we weren't meant to live on the mountain. What we've been called to, the people we've been called to are down the valley. And just like Jesus would go up on the mountaintop from time to time to meet with his father, he always came back down to where he was called to. Are you hearing me? So they came back down the mountain and Jesus says, hey guys, don't tell anybody what you've seen until after my resurrection. And they're like, what does he mean his resurrection? So when he comes down there, he comes up on this scene where he notices some of his other disciples, they are arguing with some of the teachers of the religious law. And Jesus is like, guys, what are y'all arguing about? And that's where we're going to jump in. Mark 9, starting with verse 17. So then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. Wherever it sees him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and waddled, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has your son, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water, trying to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said, if you believe all things are possible to him who believes. And I love the father's response. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe, I, I think God loves honesty like that. Because you don't hear Jesus rebuke him and say, what do you mean, help your unbelief? The guy says, you know what, I, I'm going to tell you, I think we would be better off if we were that honest with God. I believe, but I need some help with my unbelief. So he goes on. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. He became as one dead, so that many said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he'd come into his house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your presence we have already felt in your house. And God, I ask that you would open our hearts, open our ears to receive not my word, but your word today. God, and I ask that you do what only you can do in someone's heart, and that is I pray that you would soften it, make it pliable, that you would shut out any and all distractions that come trying to, to take their focus away from what you have to say to them today. And I pray this in Jesus' big name And the church said, amen. amen, amen. Hey, real quick, everybody stand up. All right, what I want you to do, we're going to go back to old school. I want you to go to at least four people, shake their hand. If you don't know them, introduce yourself. If you do know them but haven't seen them in a while, say, hey, welcome back home. Come on, go ahead. Shake at least four hands. Shake at least four hands. 
Hey, stay within your zone. Stay within your zone. All right, all right, let's bring it back in. Rain it back in. Come on, bring it back in. Go ahead, and you can sit down. Go ahead and sit down. Oh, thank you, baby. Hey, um, here's a question I want to ask you. Um, you got to be honest. How many would say you always consistently wash your hands after, the, after you go to the bathroom? That's a lot of you. According to some statistics, some of you are lying. One study said only one in four consistently wash their hands after leaving the bathroom. With those numbers in mind, think about the hands you shook. Think about the communion you took from one hand to the other as you walked in. And then just kind of do the math. Some of y'all got pee-pee on your hands right now. Uh, here's some more stats when it comes to hygiene and, and washing your hands. Um, 33% of those that say they wash their hands don't use soap. And this is a stat I made up in the 9 a.m., so I'm going to include it here. 66% of men, no, no, 80% of men turn the water on so people will think they're washing hands. <laughs> And then turn it back off. <laughs> yeah. Some of y'all are like, I think that's an actual statistic. That's, that's real. Uh, most bacteria are on our hands are under the fingertips, under the nails. Elevator buttons have 22% more bacteria than toilet seats. Oh, this is going to be a good one, especially for you young people. There is fecal matter on 16% of our cell phones. Hello? My, my, my phone smells something. I don't know what it is. 10% fecal matter on credit cards and 14% on cash. Get this, a little more serious note. A report in the Journal of Child and Adolescent Health showed that there are two preventable and treatable conditions that are also the two major killers of children under five worldwide. They're pneumonia and diarrhea. These two things contribute to 29% of the total deaths of children five and under worldwide. Another article I read uh, said that washing hands with soap would eliminate around 40% of those deaths. Get that. Get this. Here in the USA, more than 10% of people with health care hygiene-caused infections die. That's roughly around 75,000 people a year. The number of those that get sick every year due to hygiene-caused infections is through the roof. And you may be wondering, why are we talking about this 
on the first Sunday of 2024. Here's why. Can we agree that at least in the USA, soap is a normal commodity? It's easy to get. It's fairly inexpensive, right? And I'm going to tell you, this, this message is really fresh, so I'm going to stick to my notes a lot. Well, I mean, we, but we have soap. We have soap for washing our hands, washing clothes, washing the dishes, taking a bath, washing our hair, washing our pets, washing our vehicles. So the sickness, the deaths that occur due to poor hand hygiene is not from a lack of soap, right? Yet, even in 2024, we're still going to have people die or get very sick not because they don't have access to soap, but because they didn't take advantage of what they had. See, the problem isn't availability. It's using what's available to you. And you may be wondering, well, still, what does that have to do with the story we just read? Well, think about it. We've got these disciples. They're not able to cast out this demon, not able to help this father save this child. And here's the thing. I don't believe this was their first rodeo. I believe the disciples had actually cast out demons before this. I mean, when you look, I think it's Luke 10, Jesus sends the disciples out. Remember, he sends them out. They come back. Well, they come back saying, Jesus, you're not going to believe this. Even the demons are subject to us. And Jesus is like, he's like, hey, guys, come on. Don't get cocky. Don't, don't, don't get arrogant. You need to understand your power didn't do that. Your authority didn't do that. The access of the authority you have through me is what enabled you to do that. So, so I don't believe this was the first time they tried or that they had actually cast the devil out. I think the, de the disciples were a lot like a lot of us, including myself. We do some things for God. We see God work in this area or that area. We see his answer uh, to prayer. And then after a while, though, we just kind of settle in. And we begin to put our spiritual walk on autopilot and just go through the motions. We stop using and accessing the very thing that is available to us because we get in a hurry and think, well, it worked last time. We'll just do the same thing this time. And I think Jesus was reminding them, the things you've done, the things you've seen me do, they only come through two things, prayer and fasting. See, listen, church, we need to understand that if Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, had to fast and pray, are you Jesus? We better be ready to fast and pray. In fact, Jesus, Jesus said in Matthew 6, when you pray, when you fast. He didn't say if. It's like he's assuming, God, if you're a follower of mine, these are two essentials for your life. You better be praying and you better be fasting. And Mark 9, Jesus is telling these young disciples, when you set aside time to fast and pray, those two things are going to deepen your awareness that you really need me in your life. But you got to make space for God. 
maybe they couldn't help the child because they started pre treating prayer like we treat soap, only using it if we think we really need it. Come on. See, the disciples couldn't help this child not because they didn't have access to what was needed, but because they didn't take advantage of what they did have. See, prayer should be the first thing we do. It should be our go-to. Long before we ever post about our need on a prayer page, long before we call a friend and tell them, hey, I need you to pray, pray, long before we get a text thread going, I believe you should do all those things. I did it this week. I, Tuesday, I sent out a text to our D group. Guys, man, I, something has hit me. I need prayer because I don't do sick. I do not like, I've got too much to do to be sick. So, yes, you should do that. But before I ever sent out a text, I prayed. My wife laid hands and prayed for me. So that should be prayer should be our go-to, not a last resort. Are, are you following me? S.D. Gordon, in his book, uh, Quiet Talks on Prayer, said this. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Don't we get that in the reverse? We do everything we can, then we pray. We try it, we try all the ways. Then we, no, he says, you can't listen until you've prayed, it really doesn't matter what you do. Now, after you prayed, go do what you can do. But first you got to start praying. Now think that's what happened to the disciples in this story. I don't think their failure to cast this demon out was for a lack of effort. Man, I think they did everything. Everything they had done previously, everything they saw Jesus do. I mean, they were pulling out the gamut. Hey, anybody got a prayer cloth? Hey, anybody? Come on. Whatever it takes, let's try to do it. They tried everything that it could work, but it didn't seem to work. Here, if you're taking notes, this is your first fill-in. They were powerless, not because of what they did do, but because of what they did not do. That's why they couldn't cast the demon out. Maybe you feel stuck in your walk with God. Maybe you feel like you may have put your relationship with him on autopilot, going through the motions. Maybe you feel like you've hit a wall. You're doing all the right things or what you think worked in the past, but nothing is happening. Maybe the problem is not what you're doing, but what you're not doing. Guys, take time to pray. Get involved with this fast. Do what you can do and take time to cultivate a hunger for God like you've never had before. Maybe it's time to refocus. Sometimes it's not that we're not praying. It's that much of our prayers to God is all about me. Good friend of mine, David Gray, um, uh, he's, he's taught up here before. But he, he was talking about, see, he grew up with diabetes, battled his whole life. And so every service, I remember every harvest event we had, every revival, he was going up for healing. I'm going to get healed. I need healing of this, healing of this. And I remember having lunch with him. He said, you know, he said, Kelly, I have to get to the place where... I had to get healed from needing to be healed because all my prayer 
was focused on that. And I had to get to a place where I leaned into God and said, healed or not, God, you're enough. Are you following me? Healed or not, God, you are enough. So why fast? I want to give you three things that if we do this fasting, intentionally focus prayer and fasting, three things it does. The first one is this. It slows you down. Slows you down. Here's what I mean. When you're feeling anxiety creeping in, when you start feeling spiritually blah, or you're constantly in a hurry on the go, when we set aside time to intentionally pray, we slow things down. Now, I'm not talking about praying on your way to work, praying on your way to school, praying. Do those things, absolutely. Man, absolutely do those things. But I'm talking about a time you set aside where you and God alone get together. Nothing outside that. And here's why that's important. See, when you, when you set aside that time, you hit your knees. Man, you put on some worship music. You begin to pray. You know what you're not doing? Anything else. It, you slow down and you intentionally begin to lean into God. You, PK, I've got all this other stuff going on. Listen, when you take that time and intentionally, you're not answering emails, you're not answering texts, you're not doing the laundry, you're not washing clothes, you're not thinking about the, No, you're taking time to slow down to focus on God. And I know some of you, God, PK, man, my schedule's busy. Let me say this. If you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. I can't, I got all this stuff going on. I'm just going to pray while I do these things. You should pray while you do those things. But if you really want to grow in your relationship with God, if you want to win some of the battles that you feel like you've been losing, if you want to win those battles that you've been fighting spiritually, mentally, emotionally, you've got to make space in your life for God. I'm going to tell you, I believe you will begin this year to set aside time to seek God through prayer and fasting. I believe you're going to see God move in your life. I believe there's some changes going to be made in you. And I believe sometimes we'll find this, God didn't change the situation. He changed our perspective of it, how we see it. I, I found this true about myself. See, I come in here on Sunday mornings, I've got 20. 20 things at least I know I've got to do. I come in there. I've got to run the bulletins. I've got to get the bulletins ready for the ushers and greeters. Handed out. I've got to brew my cup of coffee. Uh, I've got to go turn and make sure the air or heat is on in certain areas. I've got to make sure my PowerPoint is ready for them back there. And, and I could go on and on. And it would be very easy. In fact, if I'm honest, there have been days that I just walk through those doors and start going through my list of things that I need to do. And I put my prayer, if I have time, then I will. Then I'll pray. But I've discovered, guys, that by stopping before I do anything else and intentionally making space to talk to God and hear from him, I'm not as anxious. I'm not as worried because I've settled this in my mind. It doesn't matter how studied up I am. It doesn't matter if my jokes hit right or not. I am not good enough to deliver this word on my own. I need Holy Spirit to operate and speak through me. I, I've come to grips with that. 
So my time, when I walk through those doors, my, the first few minutes, man, is me, my office is closed, don't come knocking. If you hear music playing, don't knock. Kelly's praying. If you hear music playing, Kelly's praying. Oh, there we go. Because that, those, I, I've got to have that time with God before I can ever come out here and do this. I need Holy Spirit. Uh, there was a Christian author that spoke about reading this book by Henry Newman, The Return of the Prodigal Son. In his book, he says, Newman begins the book by describing a visit to the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg, Russia. And he says, Newman says this, this visit to that museum changed his life. Says Newman went there to see one painting in particular, Rembrandt's portrayal of the prodigal son. And, and Rembrandt, this painting is what it's of is the son returning home and the father running out to meet him. And the guy writing this talks about how Newman says that he, he found this painting and he sat in front of that painting for hours studying every detail. He said he poured over every stroke of color, color, every wrinkle on the father's skin, every hint of unmitigated delight at the sight of his son, every mark on the son's downtrodden but hopeful face. And he says after uninterrupted hours of concentration, New one set up, I said, I got it from there, a changed man. He went and resigned his position at Harvard University and spent the rest of his life devoting to love those who were in such special need. The writer says, New one's unheard reflection on a piece of art not only changed New one's life, but scores of other people's life. The guy writing this says, but there's a tragedy in me telling this story. Because he talks about being dragged to that same museum by his wife. And he said, I was in such a hurry going through the museum just because my wife. He said, I don't even remember seeing that painting. He said, I was in such a rush to get in and get out. That now, after reading the story about New, and I wonder what blessing I rob myself or others of by not taking time to soak it in. A.W. Tozer said this, this come up. I've often wished that there was some way to bring modern Christians into a deeper spiritual life painlessly by short, easy lessons. But such wishes are vain. No shortcut exists. God has not bowed to our nervous haste nor embraced the methods of our machine age. It is well that we accept the hard truth now. Get this, the man who would know God must give time to him. Man, at this stage of my life, that, that last part just hits a little different. The man, the woman that would know God must Give time to him. My fear, guys, is that not only will we go through 2024, but we'll go through our life giving our time and our energy to so many things and miss out on what God placed right in front of us. But there's some good news. This is a new year. 
Can't change what you did or didn't do last year. But this year can be different. Be intentional about giving time every day to him. I'm not just talking about five or ten minutes in the morning. Have conversations throughout the day. I, I've said this before, but how would my, me and Denise have been, going to be 33 years this April. How would our relationship be if we got up in the morning, we had a five to ten minute conversation, nothing the rest of the day, and I didn't talk to her until the next morning. And that happened over and over and over again. That's not much of a relationship. But what we do, we talk in the morning. Then we'll send each other texts throughout the day. We'll call each other, check in on each other time to time. And I believe that's what God is asking us to do. Listen, anybody remember the book, Could You Not Tarry With Me One Hour, when it came out years ago? Talked about how every follower of Jesus should pray an hour. I, I, I read that book and I'm like, I'm a horrible Christian. I cannot pray an hour straight. I get tired of hearing my own voice. And I think God is going to, come on, come on, give me something new, Kelly. Come on. But that's not what it's talking about. If you could pray that long, great. But I've learned what's better than that is when I talk to God in the morning and then periodically through the day, I continue the conversation. See, uh, Spurgeon said this, I rarely pray for more than five minutes, but I never go five minutes without praying. Come on. Begin to give God time. If you're fasting, if it's a, a certain food you're fasting or you're fasting a certain meal, don't just skip the meal. Take that time to focus in. God, I want you to speak to me. I want, I, you know, I met with a couple this week, and they were saying, man, because I, I, I'd given them, given them a word. They were like, what does it mean? What does it mean? I said, I don't know. I wish I could tell you, hey, here's your next steps. I said, here's what I encourage you to do. Do this fast. And for the next 10 days, I, I said, go back and write down the word I gave you. And then for the next 10 days, say, God, what are you, what's the direction? Lean into God for these next 10 days. Whatever it is. If you're fasting social media, some of you are going to be giving God like 16 hours of your day. Some of you are going to came, come out a changed person. We want to know you because you like took that 16 hours that you were looking and gossiping and, and seeing who you did like and didn't like. And God, no, listen, he, on a serious note, if that's what you're fasting, because I know some people are, that when, you're, when you're in seat goes to grab that phone, that iPad, that whatever you scroll on, say, let that be a reminder. Oh, I'm fasting that. I need to take time to talk to God. I'm, I give God some time. I, I'm convinced that every day, guys, that there is a Rembrandt, Rembrandt somewhere in our daily walk that God has placed there. But we very rarely see it because we're rushing through life so quick that we didn't take time to see the very thing God placed there that could change our lives forever. That one went over so well. Let's go to number two. The second thing prayer and fasting will do, it'll re-energize you. It re There's some of you that when that new year rang in, that ball dropped and all that, your thought wasn't celebration. It was, I can't do another year like I just had. 
I can't go through that again. I don't want to go through the year I just had again. I can't take another year. Can, can we be honest? Life has a way of just zapping joy and life out of you. Come on, be honest. I mean, it, it just, and when that happens, it's like fatigue sets in. I'm talking emotional fatigue, financial fatigue, spiritual fatigue, relational fatigue. Here's the thing. This is me being honest with you. If I'm not careful, the thought of trying to prepare a message every week for you can be exhausting. Y'all don't know how hard I work to work on a joke to make you laugh. <laughs> Some of y'all let me down every week. <laughs> Seriously, though, it's, it can be exhausting. But do you know when I find it the most exhausting? When I've forgotten to invite him into my study time. When I think, Oh, Kelly, you're good enough to come up with an idea on your own. When I get in such a hurry trying to prepare for something that I've ran through the museum and walked right past the very thing God said, hey, hey, slow down. And I didn't take time to pause and say, God, what are you saying to me? We get in a hurry and we just do things out of habit. Hey, hey. I hope nobody gets offended of this. Like, if I'm being honest, I'm like, there are times I read my Bible just because I've got 10 Bible reading plans that I've been invited to be part of. And if I say no to one of them, well, they're going to get mad, leave the church. They're going to say, Pastor Kelly, don't like them. So I say, yeah, I'll do it. But then I just run through that reading plan. And really, it's just to read it, just to get through it, not to get anything out of it. Come on, am I the only one? I guess I am. <laughs> but we just read through it not to say, God, what have you got for us today? Just to say we've done it, to check it off. A lot of times their prayer life is like a drive-through, just quick and in and out. Quick, bam, bam. Thank you, God. And here's the thing. Almost every time that I find myself frustrated getting tired, questioning my calling, almost every time I can trace it back to, be, to when I hurried my time with God and didn't set, intentionally set aside time for me and God just to be together. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 9. There are verses that get quoted a lot. But as I was preparing for this, man, these verses... Kind of hit me a little bit different. Paul is talking about battling this thorn in the flesh that we don't really know. It never tells us what the thorn is. But here's what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 12, 8, 9. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I love how the voice paraphrases this. Look at this. Paul says, I begged the Lord three times to liberate me from its anguish. Finally, he said to me, 
My grace is enough to cover and sustain you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, so ask me about my thorn. Inquire about my weaknesses. I will gladly go on and on because I would rather stake my claim in these and have the power of the anointed one at home within me. Paul asked God to remove this, to do away with this storm. Paul's like, God, I don't want to deal with this anymore. God, I'm tired of dealing with this situation. Take it away. It's like, God says, Paul, don't get in such a hurry dealing with your thorn that you miss what I'm trying to do. My grace is enough. If you will give me space. It's like, Paul, time with me. It'll re-energize you. Yes, there's a thorn. Yes, there's an issue. But don't be so focused on that that you give that thing more space in your life than you do me. Listen, I think this is for somebody. Because I think there are times that we deal with an issue a sickness, a situation. And for long we'll say, I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed about it. But in reality, we've given that situation, that thing, more space in our minds than we have God in our life to work. Another famous quoted verse, Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait, on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Anybody want that? Come on. Anybody want their strength renewed? Anybody want to go through life flying like an eagle instead of a limp duck? Come on. Anybody want to be able to run this race and not get tired and weary and want to just quit and give up? Anybody? Well, here's the key. He says, but those who wait. What does that even mean, PK? Those first four words, but those who wait, I would suggest you underline because those four words come from a Hebrew word, kavah. It means, listen, it means, yeah, to look for, to hope, to expect, but it carries a lot more weight than that. Here's what Strong's Concordance says about it. It says to bind together like a cord or the twisting of a strand of cord. The literal definition of but those who wait implies strength in numbers. The more strands in your rope, the stronger the rope. Are you following me? Could it be the key to having our strength renewed and re-energized is us binding ourselves so closely to God you can't tell us apart? Come on. Could, could it be that in the areas we're struggling in, the situation we don't know how to handle, the things that are overwhelming us, what if we begin to just twist and weave our way into God? Listen. What if we twisted and weaved our way into God to the point that not only is God in us, we are now in God. Mm. Oh, but it gets better. Renew shall 
renew their strength. I'm not going to try to pronounce this Hebrew word. I'm going to save y'all a laugh. Here's what it means. The study I read said that this word means to pass on or change to. It means to exchange strength. I, I'll let this sink in. They shall renew their strength. They will give up their strength for his strength. Oh, that, I, that, that's good. Maybe that's why Paul said, I'll boast about my weaknesses all the more because I've learned this fact. I'm going to exchange my strength for his strength because my strength is weakness, but his strength will carry me through this situation. The third thing, intentional focus time of prayer, fasting will do. It cleanses you. Cleanses you. Pastor Casey and Tiffany started this year off with, I think it was like an 80-hour water-only fast. Um, I'm going to do the first seven days of our fast with the whole 30, but the final 72 hours, I'm going to do the water-only fast. They say there's benefits to a three- to seven-day water-only fast. They say it can improve insulin sensitivity and help regulate blood pressure or blood sugar levels. It can stimulate, and I'm going to massacre this word, A-U-T-O-P-H-A-G-Y, spell it. And they said basically what that's like, it's like hitting a refresh button on your cells. It can improve mental clarity and focus, less inflammation in your body, stronger immune system. It reduces body toxins. It reduces risk of dementia, enhances health and well-being. It improves the natural healing. Those are just some of the benefits of a three to seven day water fast. So what are the spiritual benefits of a fast? It cleanses us. See, here's the truth. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're still human. Living in a real world. You work in a real world. You go to school in a real world. You go shopping in a real world. Wherever you go, you're in the world. See, we, we are Christians that live in the real world. We cannot just isolate ourselves from the world. That, that, that's not what we're saved and called to do. Hey, get saved. And then once a week, let's all like-minded people come together and then try our best to stay away from the world when we go out those doors. John 17, Jesus says something different. He knows his time is drawing to a close with his disciples. And he begins to pray for his disciples. Look what he says, John 17, 13 through 18. I'm coming to you now, God. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they, his disciples, may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word. And the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer, get this, is Jesus. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. 
They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I'm sending them. We were saved for the world. Are you following me? We're here. We're called to the world. And I I say that because when you go through life, you're not going to get out without some stains on you, in you. Here's what I know. You're going to get dirty. Your soul, your heart, your mind is going to need a good cleansing. That's one of the reasons why we start off every year with this time, folks, time of prayer and fasting. You ever walk around, see some, uh, or, and have something, a stain on you you didn't even know was there? Tell a friend, say, man, what'd you get all over? And you're like, well, I didn't even know it was there. That's what life can do to you. You're just going about life, and you've got stains on you that you don't, you're not even aware of. Because that's, life can do that. That's why Sundays, Wednesdays, women's and men's groups are so important for your spiritual walk. See, we come in here after a week of life in the world. And we've got stains on us. We've got dirt on us. Pastor Bob or one of the singers begins to encourage us. Before we know it, Our focus shifts from the hell we've had this week to the glory of God that's right before us right now. We come in here. We worship together. We hear a message together. We get challenged together. And we leave here with a few less stains than what we entered with. heard this story from the late 1800s about a group of uh, high society young people that they had to go tour a coal mine as part of an assignment. Well, they showed up that day to meet the guide for the tour through the coal mine, and most of the young people were dressed uh, appropriately for a tour through a coal mine, except for one young lady. She decided to wear a white tea dress. And her choice of dress had all the other kids. Why, why, why are you doing that? What are you doing? And she's like, I can wear a white tea dress if I want to. So she goes up to the guy and says, hey, can I not wear this white dress on this tour in the coal mine? And the, the guy says, ma'am, there's nothing to keep you from wearing a white dress into the coal mine. But there's a considerable amount that will keep you from wearing a white dress out. The thought that we can go through this life unstained is a false narrative. Here's the problem, though. When we start getting comfortable and okay with the stains we have, that's the problem. When we know we're stained, but we've just grown accustomed to it. We've gone used to it. 
We may, listen, you, you ever had a, a shirt you just love, but it's got something on it, but you want to wear it. It fits great, fits right, so you wear it, but then you throw something on over it to cover the stain. I wonder how many people walk in here every Sunday trying to cover their stains. Not knowing if there's one place your stains can be on display and you not be judged. It's this place. Look what James says in James 4.8. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. The message is a little more direct with it. Look what he, how he paraphrases it. Say a quiet yes to God. He'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Draw near to God. Make space to God, to God for Him for God to move. Allow Him to cleanse your hands. Allow Him to cleanse your heart. Allow Him to cleanse your soul. Let Him change the way you think. Let Him change your attitude. Let Him change things in your life that you don't like and other people don't like about you. Don't just grow comfortable with those stains. begin to change the way you see people the way you think the way you value some things let him change your perspective see that last point may be the most important point of this message because I believe every person in here online needs cleansed from something The gospel is so upside down. I mean, let's be honest. The, the young lady walks in with a white dress, but the guy says, uh, you're not going to walk out with a white dress. But look what God says, Isaiah 118. Come, let's talk this over, says the Lord. No matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can take it out and make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. Even if you are stained as red as crimson, I can make you white as wool. If you choose, you don't have to leave here with the stains you walk in with. Are you hearing me? I'm talking stains that aren't easily seen. Stains of resentment. Stains of unforgiveness, stains of prejudice, stains of anger that bull up in you and you haven't been able to control for years. Come on, are you with me? I'm speaking to some people in here. Stains of addiction that have, that that are wrecking your life, your marriage, your relationships. Stains. Stains that nobody knows about because late at night you're looking at sights you know you don't need to be looking at. Stains.
talk this over. No matter how deep your stain is, no matter how ugly you think it is, God says, I could take it. And you won't even recognize it when you walk back out. Because you'll walk in a mess. You'll walk in stained. But you won't leave stained. Stand with me across this room. brother or sister go with it and it's been in your family so long you've been lied to to think that it can't change God says hey let's talk it over I don't care how deep the stain is I can make you as clean as freshly fallen snow heads bowed eyes closed you say you know what pastor I I don't have a relationship with Jesus I've tried religion I've never really tried a relationship with Jesus if you're telling me that I can come to him with my stains with the ugliness in my life and he'll take me right where I am I want that here today, this first service is 2024, and you'd say, you know what, I want to start this year off surrendering to God everything, the lies, the doubts, the questions, the sin of my life, I want to surrender it all to Him, and I want to start a relationship with Him by giving Him my life and my heart. If that's you, with nobody looking around, just Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. I want to embarrass you. And I know there are those here. Yeah, yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I see you. Anybody else? Yeah, 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 yeah. Over here. Keep, keep your hand raised for me, please.
sending people back to pray with you. If there's another group of people, if you'd be honest, you've kind of just went into autopilot with your spiritual life and your walk with Christ, kind of just going through the motions. And you need God to reawaken a fire and a passion. And if you're honest, there was a time when you you really couldn't wait to get to church. You wanted to serve. You wanted to do those things. But the passion has just kind of died out. And you want God to reawaken that in you so that you can begin to live a life of purpose. If that's what you want, and you'd be honest, just raise your hand. Come on, you're all over the room. Keep them lifted. God, I pray for air. my hands up because, God, there are areas in my life I need you, need you to wake up. But, God, every hand that is raised, let an awakening start. Let an awakening start today, God. God, rekindle the fire that once burned. Let us grow dissatisfied with just going through the motions. Let us grow dissatisfied with just as a function it's what we do but God let it become God I want to burn for you I want to grow in you reignite the passion in us Father say this here is where here is where I lay it down guys and pick up that new passion that new fire this is my surrender Come on, this is your day. I just, want to, I just want to get as close as I can. So we're going to open it up. If that's you and you're just saying, I just want to get up there. I just want to, I want to grow. I want something to ignite in me. But as they sing this, get out and find yourself in hot pursuit of the God that wants you as close as you can get to Him. That you to step out. Begin to pray. I will make room. 